It's official. One Shining Podcast is back, and I am your host, Tate Frazier. And as March Madness begins, we're covering everything from Selection Sunday all the way to the championship and beyond. We're going to have great guests that are coming through on the show. And look, if you're a friend of the program and you're already subscribed, you don't have to do anything. OSP is back. It's going to be right back in your feed. And if you're not a friend of the program and this is your first time on the rodeo, then let me tell you this. You need to go to Spotify, Apple, or wherever you get your podcasts and smash subscribe today because the OSP show is back. It's New York, New York, presented by FanDuel. The second half of the NBA season is here and you can bet on the action with an assist from FanDuel, America's number one sports book. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Parlay Hub. Filter by odds, sport, and bet type to easily find the most popular parlays and same-game parlays all on one page. Plus, start betting on the Explore page and the Pulse and Bet Live same-game parlays for every NBA game. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, official partner of the NBA. The Ringer. Is committed to responsible gaming. Please visit theringer.com slash RG to learn more about the resources and helplines available and listen to the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 100 Gambler or visit theringer.com slash RG. This episode is brought to you by Lululemon. Guys, if you're ready for a new pair of pants, try one of Lululemon's ABC pants. They're made to make you look and feel good. And there's lots of different styles to choose from. My favorite, because I walk around LA every day, I like the joggers. I'm not jogging, I'm just walking fast. But if you're working out, I would try them out. And if you want something a little sleek, maybe business-like, maybe try the ABC Slim Fit Trouser. But I am a joggers guy. I just, once COVID happened, I was just like, I'm, I want to wear jogging pants and joggers and all kinds of soft pants as much as I possibly can, especially when I'm working out. Ultra comfortable and versatile. ABC Pants are really in a league of their own. Buy a pair right now at lululemon.com. All righty, let's roll, baby. Welcome in. It is a Tuesday in a Wednesday edition of New York, New York. It's yours truly, JJ John Jastrzemski and... I think we can say my voice is 80 to 85% back from the four or five-day excursion in Las Vegas for the bachelor party festivities. A couple of quick hitters from Vegas. Number one, five days in Vegas is way too long. Number two, stadium swim for the final four, Encore Beach Club, followed up by golf and 35-mile-an-hour winds. The fact where it was colder in Vegas on Monday than it was in New York is insane to think about, but we had a ton of fun. We'll actually get a little insider look, PC, of course, from the great Paul Rosenberg, a friend of mine, who is a degenerate golf handicapper. So he's going to come on and help us with the Masters. And he also is betting like hockey, and he's into the Rangers and the Devils. So we'll have some fun with Paul. Uh, a little bit later on in the show. Quick hitters right out of the gate. First things first. Congratulations to you, Kyle. Congratulations to my pal, Dan Hurley. As much as it pains me to say, 
congratulations to UConn on national championship number five. UConn, again now, is a back the top of the college basketball world. And they really, from pillar to post, dominated this tournament and put together one of the most impressive runs I've ever seen in an NCAA tournament. You want to say it's the lack of competition? Be my guest. They smoked St. Mary's. They smoked Arkansas. They smoked Gonzaga. They smoked Miami. And then San Diego State, who said at halftime, they should have been up by 20 to 25 points. San Diego State, we bet them race to 10. It was amazing they hit the race to 10 because then they didn't score for like 10 minutes to the point where they're only down 12 and a half. It's like, holy smokes, they should be down 25. San Diego State, gritty team. They hung in. They cut it to six. They cut it to five. But what killed them in the second half of that game, the officiating. It was loosey-goosey in the first half. It was way tighter in the second half to the point where UConn was in the bonus, UConn was in the double bonus, and that team doesn't miss free throws. Sonogo, who is the best player in the tournament, big guy. You always wonder about big guys that are going to hit free throws. He hit every free throw. Every single free throw. And the biggest shot of the game, without a doubt, was Hawkins. Up five with the ball. Hawkins hits the three to go up eight. From that point forward, San Diego State missed a couple of free throws. They missed the front end of a one and one. And that was basically the game. But UConn, a couple of things here. Hurley, you knew was going to do well at UConn. The guy's too good a coach. The guy's won every stop along the way. I'm telling you. I saw this guy at Wagner College. He's winning at Wagner. He's winning at Rhode Island. UConn got themselves a guy who's all in. Basketball family, gym rat, lifer. He's a fabulous coach. They tweaked their recruiting and it added a lot more shooting. But you know what else saved their program dramatically? Going back to the Big East. It just felt off. The idea of UConn being in the American with Cincinnati and Memphis and not playing their conference tournament at Madison Square Garden. When you think about Ray Allen and you think about Kimball Walker and you think about Shebaz Napier, even though Napier played in the American, but you get my point. The Garden and UConn's kind of synonymous. And now UConn's top dog in the league. How about the Big East moving forward? UConn, Villanova, who will be back? Patino and St. John's. Ed Cooley, who's going up uh, from Providence to Georgetown. Creighton's really good. Xavier's really good. You know, I worried about the health and the status of the Big East when the likes of Syracuse and Pittsburgh and a bunch of these schools left the conference. Big East doing A-OK, and I got news for you. I wish my alma mater was still playing in the Big East. I get why they're not. Football obviously takes shape, but it bothers me to no end. A couple of quick hitters on the baseball. You don't want to get nuts. It's five games into the year. But a couple of very concerning warning signs from the Mets. What am I more concerned about? This is a good question, actually. Am I more concerned about what I saw from Scherzer tonight? Am I more concerned about what I saw from the Met bats? I'm going to say I'm more concerned with the Met offense. And Scherzer looked awful today. He allows the Brewers to go back to back to back with home runs. His velocity was way down. And 
You know, if it was a pitcher who was 27 or 28, you wouldn't blink an eye. You wouldn't even, you'd say, it's one start. It's Max freaking Scherzer. Look at the back of the baseball card. And we all know he was a beast for the Mets last year. That said, he's worn down each of the last two years. You can't overlook that. Each of the last two years, Max Scherzer has worn down. So there's that. There's also the element of his age. Father Time is undefeated. And anytime you have an older starting pitcher give up back-to-back-to-back and not be hitting the radar gun the way he once did, it sounds the alarm. But I would be more concerned early with the Met bats because last year the Mets were a very fortuitous baseball team. They put the ball in play. They grinded out at bats. They were clutch. They had a lot of big hits. But what did we keep talking about? Where is the power? Where's the pop within this lineup? Once again, I'd make the same argument for the Mets. They tried changing it with Correa. We know what happened with Correa. It didn't end up working out. Correa ends up finding his way back to the Minnesota Twins. That was supposed to be the power bat that changes the lineup. The Mets ran back the same lineup that they had a year ago. And I'm not saying Alonzo and Lindor and Nimmo and McNeil aren't going to do what you expect them to do, and Sterling Marte for that matter. But I think we've seen, it's early, a cautionary sign and a major eye-opening sign, the lack of power up and down the Met lineup. Very, very, very concerning. And we'll see if the Mets can avoid the three-game sweep as they play the final game on Wednesday afternoon against the Milwaukee Brewers. They come back on Thursday to open their season, weather permitting, against the Miami Marlins. No Verlander, of course, because he's dealing with the injury. And we'll see if the Mets can get back on track. But I'm more worried about the lineup at this point than I am Max Scherzer. But both, not good enough today. No other way around it. Now for the Yankees, look. They won three of their first four games. You know, I did a hit on Better's Eye, the MLB show, right after I got off the red eye. I love the Phillies and the Brewers today. Gave out both, the Phillies and the Brewers. Hermann starts the game giving up a bomb to Schwarber, but the Yankee offense was just non-existent until they teased in the bottom half of the ninth inning. Absolutely non-existent. And my feeling right now with the Yankee lineup, I'm sick of seeing Hicks. We talked about this on Sunday. Hicks had the audacity to complain about playing time. Boom puts him in the lineup on Monday, puts him in the lineup on Tuesday, and he has done nothing. Why is Aaron Hicks still on the Yankees? Honest question. He stinks. I saw the lineup today, and I'm wondering, why isn't his Wilder Cabrera in the lineup? Play Cabrera. He needs to get the playing time in the outfield. That's all there is to it. I'm not even going to kill IKF. You know what? Listen, we all know Hicks, Donaldson, and IKF are going to be the whipping boys of the fan base for the foreseeable future. And if I'm going to rank my frustration level with all of them, now that IKF is off the shortstop, Hicks is one, Donaldson is two, IKF is three. Hicks bothers me, though, when I'm hearing about the complaining. And I don't feel sorry for him with the booing. 
play better. David Cohen said it tonight during the broadcast. Go out and play better. If you play better, the fans, they are fickle. They will turn those boos into cheers very quickly. I will applaud you. The Yankee fan will applaud you. When you get the opportunity, and he won't be in the lineup tomorrow. If he is, there's a problem. Judge, Stanton, and Cabrera should be in the outfit. And if not, I'd play Cordero. I don't want to see Hicks. You turn that around by playing better baseball. Not making excuses. All right, 917-382-1151. We're going to take one, and then we got double the meat, double the action from a guest standpoint. Let's hear it. JJ, what's up, man? Chris and Larchmont. It has been a little while. Um, I've been planning on calling about my excitement about Aaron Rodgers being a Jet, but here we are uh, into April now, and I'm still on fucking pins and needles here. So, uh, but uh, with baseball season upon us, a couple things on the Yankees. And uh, listen, I, I know I hammered these guys all last season, as you can go to the, the JJ archives, uh, the New York, New York archives, but the cliche definition of insanity, what is it? It's doing the same things over and over again and expecting different results. I mean, underperforming players, fucking Josh Donaldson. This guy, of course, end the game tonight. Uh, two for 15 for the season now, if I'm not mistaken. Aaron Hicks, 0 for 7 for the season. These guys are, co- are combined 2 for 22. You know, last year wasn't a blip. These stiffs, a week into the season, have picked up exactly where they left off. Why are we surprised by any of this? And uh, we're not even, it's, it's, it's not even, the, the trees aren't even blooming yet. And I'm infuriated. So they're just starting to bloom, I should say. But uh, listen, Volpe up is great. Mark reminder of the, the lack of significant change from, from last season to this season for the Yankees. You know, I know we're battling some injuries. I know there's Vader, you know, there's Radon, Sevy, these guys are going to be back eventually. But I don't know. It's just the same thing and expecting something different with this, with this lineup, especially. And I think number two is it comes down to me not feeling great about this manager. I mean, is it all his fault? No, of course not. But you know, I'm tired of, you know, pulling pictures too early, the constant tinkering with the lineup. I mean, do you think that perhaps this team is so cold in the postseason typically because guys just don't know their role in the lineup? I mean, are they a leadoff hitter? Are they a three hitter? Are they clean up? Are they sixth? I mean, there's just not no consistency. I and mean, the Astros, I feel like I can recite their entire, their entire lineup by the second regular season series against them. And, um, anyway. So that's my, that's my rant on the Yankees. I'm hoping, I know it's early. I don't want to get, get too crazy here, but, uh, listen, man, kudos to you for your no voice podcast earlier this week. Congrats on the bachelor party, the upcoming wedding. You know, once upon a time, about nine years ago, I was doing my bachelor party in Vegas. Uh, and now nine years later, happily married with three kids. But one thing I was told was going to win was my sports passion. It has absolutely not. Keep up the great work as always, my man. Uh, listen, your show is a must listen. A must listen, even the quieter times of the sports year. So um, take it easy, and uh, we'll talk soon. Uh, it's very kind of you to say, Chris. I appreciate that. And I can guarantee you this. I could have one kid. I could have five kids. I could have 10 kids. I'm going to still be as crazy as I am with this stuff. It's in my blood. It's what I do. It's who I am. Um, believe it or not, I'm not going to kill the manager yet because I understand the Yankees are not playing with a full deck at this point in the lineup, not having Harrison Bader. But what does bother me is guys making excuses. Listen, Hicks, Donaldson, and IKF, they're under the microscope. 
Right now, they are not popular amongst the fan base. You got to buck up and do your job. That's all there is to it. So if you're a guy like Aaron Hicks and you complain and the fans know about it and then you go out and stink, people are going to let you hear it. Donaldson, last year, embarrassing. Not the player he was throughout his career. Makes the last out tonight. He needs to get off to a fast start. Or you're going to be talking about the idea of Lemayu, Volpe, Torres, and Rizzo as your everyday infield for the Yankees moving forward. All right. Coach Timmy O'Toole on the Final Four and the UConn title. Paul Rosenberg, my friend, my old producer. Some gambling on the Masters. Some gambling on the NHL. He will join us for that. Coach O'Toole up next. This episode is brought to you by Empower. You got money questions like, can I retire early? What are my best savings options? Can I afford to pay for my kid's education? Luckily, Empower has all the answers. With Empower's real-time dashboard and real live conversations, you get clarity on your real-life financial goals. So join 18 million Americans and Empower What's Next. Start today at Empower.com. Tap the banner or visit this episode's page to learn more. Sponsored by Empower, not an endorsement or a statement of satisfaction by a client. There's a lot that could impress you about the all-new Honda Prologue EV. True, it's got class-leading passenger space and clean, thoughtful design and intuitive technology. But what really sets the Prologue apart from the competition is that it's more than an EV. It's a Honda. Honda, the power of dreams. Visit honda.com slash prologue to learn more. Final Four, National Championship in the books, UConn. Title number five. Crazy to say that UConn now, five titles since 1999. Doesn't sit well with a guy who went to Syracuse University. Let's welcome in the associate head coach at Pittsburgh. They had a great year. They won an NCAA tournament game, and he was down in Houston for the Final Four. My dude, Tim O'Toole. What's up, coach? JJ, how are you, pal? Coach, weird Final Four, right? San Diego State, Florida Atlantic, but first ever walk-off jumper to win a Final Four game. We've seen it, obviously, in the National Championship, but that was pretty wild to see San Diego State on Saturday, down big, then basically forced turnovers. Florida Atlantic can't hit a foul shot, and then they walk it off there to win that game. That must have been really cool to see. It, it was amazing. Um, you, know, you, you talked about that second half, especially with San Diego State coming back and then hitting that, that game winner. And I didn't know that was the first time in the semis that that had happened. But especially as a coach, you're sitting there and you don't have a chance to watch too many games anymore where you're just a fan. And um, the other thing was, you know, you mentioned about the free throws. How many offensive rebounds did San Diego State get against them? It it was amazing from the foul line. These are little things that kind of drive you crazy as a coach. And I'm watching the same scenario where – where they inbound, they got the ball into Butler's hands. Butler, you know, came down the length of your court, and you're sitting there like, oh, my God. He's not going to get this shot off, and then sure enough, he gets it off in the nick of time, nailed it. And the one thing you saw with San Diego State, that they, they don't go away, right? And, and Florida Atlantic played great. I mean, those guys were, they were fast, they were moving, they, their guards were great. They, you know, they just created a lot of mismatch problems. And it was just a fantastic game. It really was. really was. And then you have UConn. It's title number five for that program. Coach, you're a great historian of the sport. It's going to go down, right, as one of the most dominant tournament runs ever. And I don't want to hear, oh, well, certain teams didn't get there and they didn't go up against number one seeds. Here's what I know, Coach. They won every game by double digits. Case closed. When you go and play in the NCAA tournament and win every game by double digits, that speaks volumes to me. Like, they're a very 
few instances you can find a team that doesn't play like that white knuckle in the tournament. I mean, outside of San Diego State, cut it to six or five, coach. They didn't play that white knuckler. Yeah, yeah. No, and I think we mentioned uh, the night of the NCAA tournament because I, I always think about this because Coach Krzyzewski talked about this, JJ. He said, people have no idea how lucky you have to be to get to the Final Four, period, let alone win it. And he said, there's three things that have to happen. And you just, you just mentioned it. One, you got to stay healthy. Like we had our meeting uh, yesterday. And first thing Jeff mentioned was, I wish... Fetty Federico didn't get hurt for us because we were a different team with him, right? Because he was so good defensively. But we got banged up and we got hurt, right? So injuries come into play. We talked about sometimes the referees, right? You get referees from all over the country, and depending on your league, like, you know, they call it differently. But the other thing he mentioned was if your bracket is really important, if you don't get beat up along the way of those white knucklers, you kind of keep moving. And hey, it's not your job whether a number one or a number two gets knocked off. Your job is to keep winning one day at a time, survive in advance. And when you talk about UConn, not only they win, they were just knocking the heck out of people. And uh, you saw the number ones go down you know, left and right. And um, But that was college basketball this year. But again, those three things have to kind of come into play. So you got to get a little lucky but UConn was steamrolling through this thing. You know, I'm watching a game Monday night, Coach, and it felt like UConn should have been up by 25-plus points at halftime. I mean, San Diego State couldn't hit a shot. UConn, it felt like, should have been up by 20. Hurley even said it at halftime. He's like, we should be up by a lot more in this game. But he also mentioned oh, something you just brought up a few minutes ago. I didn't like the way the game was being called. So sure enough, Coach, what did we see in the second half? You know how you guys got to work officials from time to time. They were calling ticky-tack fouls on San Diego State. I mean, the one when they were up six, I couldn't believe they called it a foul. And give UConn credit. I mean, they hit every free throw imaginable. So if you put them to the line, they were hitting the shots. But, I mean, that was that was a glaring difference, right? What you saw first half, second half, it felt like the way it was officiated was just drastically different. Well, And, and these are the things, and I go back to Coach K because he was there a lot, J.J., like, you know, you as a coach have to figure out how this thing is being officiated and you got to know when you can pop off and when you can't because, you know, every little thing matters. And, and I go back to the, even like Jordan Hawkins, the three he, he hit when they were down, when they were up five. I mean, momentum had completely swung. That building was going nuts and he buries that dagger for three to get it back to eight and you could just feel it because those are those, are those little plays, I think, uh, San Diego State might have been on a 9-0 run at the time. And there was around five minutes ago. But that play was massive. And uh, But that's part of Danny. Danny did keep his composure. He kind of, you know, he managed the game great. And uh, and his team played that way. Because as you mentioned, they didn't make a lot of mistakes coming down the stretch. They made their free throws. They took care of the business. And they're the national champs. Coach, I don't sugarcoat it. I hate UConn as a Syracuse <laughs> guy. You know that. I admit it. I hate UConn. But I got to be honest with you. I got a chance to see Dan Hurley at Wagner. Mm-hmm. When I, You know, I'm a Staten Island guy, so I did a bunch of stuff for them when I'm breaking into business. And that was his first coaching job. Yeah. So it's kind of cool for me to see like that evolution of a coach to go from the NEC at Wagner to go to URI and have success in the Atlantic 10 and win there. And then to go to UConn. Obviously, coaching makes difference. Players make a difference. How much you think the return of the Big East, though, has helped <sighs> propel UConn back to these lengths of prominence? It has to, right? Brilliant decision on the part of UConn. Not even close. 
uh, you know, one of the things you don't think about JJ, but I know they did up in stores and this is why they made that move when they left the big East to go to, I don't even know the name of it, the AAC. The American. Yeah. yeah, yeah. The American. The well, all of their rivalries, think about all the, you know, how hard it was to play in the Hartford civic center. And when you had those rivalries in the big East, whether it was Villanova coming to town, the Q's coming into town, Georgetown coming into town, that building was sold out forever. And so now all of a sudden when, these other teams that no one knows comes up to, you know, attendance drop, revenue, everything was collapsing all around them. And and so at some point, the school, which I'm sure was hemorrhaging money at this point in time, said, all right, we've got to get back, right? Everything blew up because of football. Oh, we're going to get back in the Big East. And then things kind of got re- recalibrated, if you would. And then we hired Danny. And then again, you know, now, again, they won their, their you know, the tournament uh, oh, yesterday. Um, but it was a, a, a brilliant decision on the part of those people up in stores. No question. And now you look at that league, Coach. UConn and Hurley aren't going anywhere. Villanova, you know this. Your, your son's a part of that program. Jay built it. Aroli built it. Now Neptune's going to have this opportunity to keep it going. Yeah. They're going to be back. Patino yeah. at St. John's is going to have success. There's no doubt in my mind. And yeah. Cooley, who's been a, you know, he's won. He's going to Georgetown. Yeah. All of a sudden now, that's one hell of a league, coach. Well, it's amazing. I was thinking about, as you mentioned this, when all of this stuff happened and the last time it split, there was so much pressure on the Big East. And especially I look back, I think, to Jay Wright because he kind of carried that thing. And I think it was 2013 or 14, whenever that, that split did occur, and the money was driving everything with the television, this and that, and the Big East didn't have the big TV contract. Well, two years later, Jay won the national championship. And so he kind of bucked that trend of like, hey, listen, basketball is still the final four. You know, uh, the NCAA, the March Madness is basketball. And all that football stuff, you can talk about it. But not only did we win it in 16, we won it in 18. And so then all of a sudden it was like, okay, he gave them a little bit more traction to stand on. And here we are a few years later, and now UConn wins it. And so, again, you're talking in the last, what is it, less than 10 years, or right around 10 years. Well, no, Louisville won it in 13, but they were still in the Big East back then. So it was more right shortly thereafter. But they won it three within three of the last eight or nine years. Yeah, that's, well, that's kind of impressive. It's pretty crazy to think about the league breaking up. You were there, Coach. That last game in the Big East tournament, the old Big East tournament, Yeah, I, you wonder what the league would be, right? You mentioned Ooh. White and the <laughs> idea of him being the guy to be like, all right, I'm going to go take a team that's a good team, but now we're going to be basically, you know, head honcho of this league. We're going to be, you know, the pole bearer of this league. Yeah. Now the league is set up well. It's a basketball-driven league. Yeah. And you know we're in New York City. Rick Pitino coming to Madison Square Garden and taking St. John's over. You did games for St. John's. You know you, you know what it's like when St. John's is humming and rocking. Yeah. How daunting a challenge is that for Pitino? Well, again, how daunting is he was, he was built, he's been built for this thing, right? I mean, when you go back to Coach Patino and taking over at BU and then being an assistant with the Knicks with UB, then getting Providence, taking them to the Final Four, and then taking over for the Knicks again. And then he's, you know, the Celtics, the Kentucky, Louisville, you know, Iona. They, they, like he's been ready for this moment and that environment all of his life, and he's back kind of where he belongs. Daunting? I, mean, I don't think anything's daunting to him. I think he understands 
the magnitude of it. He understands the importance of it. Like his whole thing about we're going to play in Madison Square Garden. And as you just mentioned, when I was doing radio for St. John's, um, you know, you, you you had that feel. That's one of the reasons why they hired Lav. You know, I remember talking with Chris Monash about it. And, you know, at that time, he's like, hey, we got Hall of Fame guys all over this league. We need, you know, we need some of that star collateral power. And uh, I think, as you just mentioned, those names, JJ, they're doing the same thing now. You got Rick in there. You got, you know, Jay has just stepped down, but, you know, you got Ed that just left for Providence for Georgetown. And, you know, you, you got, you know, got Shock and Marquette. Like, you, you've got some high powered cats in that thing. And, uh, and, and obviously, they're going to be ready to rock and roll. Does it amaze you, coach? UConn now has five national championships since 1999. And you know how hard it is to win one. And when they beat, Duke, for the first time, they were a monster underdog in that game, and they won the game outright. Uh, you know, that the, the blue blood term to me is like very, you know, beauty is in the eye of the beholder, and basically whatever your definition may be may be different than my definition, and th- there's no like strict criteria on what's a blue blood, but to me, you win five titles in, in a span of 23 years. Yeah. Whatever the title is, you got it, man. You got it going across the board as a program. Yeah. Yeah. No, there's no question about it. I, I think back to JJ, you just mentioned because ooh, when I was at Fairfield and played my last year was in 1987 and we had beat UConn twice uh, within the in my five years at Fairfield. When Jim Calhoun got the job was my, I think my senior year at Fairfield. And um, anyway, when I got back that job 10 years later to be the head coach at Fairfield, we weren't within 30 points of UConn. They had just extended this thing. And so when you think about what he did, and uh, even going back to when they got to the Elite Eight with with T- uh, Tate George and those guys, and then to see what happened in that decade, right? And from the 90s to 99 when they beat Duke, and then what he had done from 2000 to 2010, even I think when they won it with Kevin, like it is amazing. Then for Kevin to take that thing, you know, from coach Calhoun, when it, I think that was in, was it 12, 13, no, 13, 14, 14. 13, 14. Yeah. And then, uh, you know, then it hit the Rocky time when they, again, when they left the big East, which a lot of teams, you know, the transition hurt a lot of people. And then they kind of, you know, race to the forefront. And, and we talked about this all year. This year, it was anybody's. I mean, you just knew it all year long. Teams were ranked one. They'd get knocked out of the top 25. They'd lose five in a row. Like, that doesn't usually happen. And um, and yet, you know, I look back to that game last night, JJ, and, you know, with with Andre Jackson and Sano and Adama and uh you know, he he mentioned, you know, and, and Danny talked about the leadership of those guys. And it really, it, it's been interesting because I, I do think them and and I believe it was, uh, I believe it was Villanova, like their thing was they were not going into the portal. Like, you know, that was all through their recruiting and, and that, you know, they opted for that path. And that path obviously worked for Danny and, and those guys and uh, hats off to them because they took a different road and, uh, and, and, and they won it all. Coach, now that you are a couple of weeks removed from your experience getting back to the NCAA tournament, it was a fun run for you guys. You win the playing game in dramatic fashion. You came on the next day. You're super fired up. You're <laughs> like me in Vegas. You had no voice. You had no sleep. You're running on fumes. And you know you're playing an NCAA tournament game in 48 hours. Well, then you go and smoke your opponent in the first round and win an NCAA tournament game. And then, of course, you end up losing to Xavier. But from where the program was, to get those moments in March where you're winning NCAA tournament games, 
that's got to be really cool to look back on now to reflect on and say, yeah, we had one hell of a year. Oh my God, JJ, it, it, we really have it. And it's, um, uh, the reality for us is I go back to, we were talking about that transition and when the Big East broke up and a lot of things happened and Pitt went to the ACC, you know, UConn and those teams went to, oh, they all went to different leagues. Cincinnati did and now Mick left there to go to UCLA. Um, you just saw like the collateral damage in certain spots, right? And, and Pitt went through that too. Pitt went from being a team that was number one seed in the NCAA tournament twice, and I think it was 2009 and 2011, to zero and 19. You talk about falling on hard times. And so, you know, for the last four years here, we got our heads beaten in. And I mean, beaten in on a daily, it was, you know, we knew what we were getting into. We just didn't know how hard it was going to be. And then miraculously, JJ, and this is why, you know, for, for, for your viewers out there, it's almost like, you know, just keep, just keep holding on, right. And, and stand, try to stand tall because it's a, you just know at some point, hopefully it's going to turn. And uh, and again, it, it requires faith because who's kidding who? When, you, when you're going through it like that, it's like the perfect storm. You're out there on some fishing boat in, in, in the midst of a hurricane. Uh, it doesn't look good. And um, however, we were able to kind of grind our way through it and we built some momentum and we had great kids. And then as you mentioned, you know, for us, JJ, like to be a, a basket away from playing Miami for the regular season ACC championship at Miami and missing at the buzzer. Like it, that, that is as surreal as it gets to me because you know how hard it is in the ACC, period, let alone to have a type of year where you're going to be competing for, with everything on the line. And, um, and unfortunately, we, we didn't make it. But, and then we have to go sweat it out on Selection Sunday. And then when, when that name got called, and uh, it was it was it was unbelievable. It really was. And um, you know, you don't want to look back too too much because you got to keep going forward. But it was four years of getting your head smashed in. And uh, for the, for that one moment, it was it was sweet. As you mentioned, we were able to go to Dayton, not too far away. We won in dramatic fashion at the buzzer. Um, get that was back. a great game too, Coach. That was one of the best games of the tournament. Let's be honest. That was one of the best games of the tournament. It really was. But in, and this was kind of like it was a slugfest, right? You just you know body blow, body blow, cross jab. It didn't end. And then uh, and then to get on that plane, the first thing the next morning, I head back down to Greensboro where we just were a week ago. And uh, I was like, all right, we got to figure out Iowa State pretty quick here. And then that that whole mindset of all right, you got forty eight hours. Everything gets encapsulated into this. Focus in, get your get your plan together, and then hopefully execute your plan. And uh, and it was interesting, JJ, because we beat Iowa State, played you know pretty well that night, and then we had Xavier on the Sunday, and um, and it was the first time we played three games in a week since November, and, and it was wow. early November. And, and so, you guys like, looked out again. Let's be honest, Coach. Obviously, the injury yeah. to Federico hurt, but you looked yeah. like a team that was running on fumes in that game. Is that fair to say? Well, and that's, yeah, you don't think about it because you, you know your clocks get so conditioned. I mean, your body clock that hey, it's two games a week, whether it's Tuesday, Saturday, Wednesday, Saturday, whatever it might be, and then all of a sudden, and, and there's adrenaline, right? And so you got there Tuesday, you you, you won that day, and then your next thing you're there on Friday, you won that, and boom, and then Sunday we were just a step off the whole time, and so you know it was unfortunate, but it, it's the reality of it. But it doesn't detract from all the good things that we experienced. And I go back, JJ, because the, the the city of Pittsburgh, the fans, the student body, our administration, everything, it was amazing. They were into it, Coach. Coach, uh, there was a renewed energy from that city for you guys yeah. that was really cool to see. It really it, was it, cool to see. 
And it, what, I go back to those four years, JJ, because again, it, it, it was hard. It was brutally hard. And uh, to see the enthusiasm, excitement from the local fans, and, and you know this, JJ, because you know everywhere in central New York, you see Syracuse gear. Well, everywhere in this little region, we saw more pit gear coming out. And it was so nice to see them fired up, enthused, and, and excited about all of us, right? Because even like I go back, to, and I think in those last three games, we wore, we call it the city uniform, which is the black and, and gold with the pig, right? Because all the professional teams here, the Penguins, the Steelers, and the uh, and the Pirates all have the black and gold. They have the stripes. And so we have a city uniform. But we wanted to represent the city in addition to the university. And uh, and it, it was unbelievable. It really was. And JJ, I know I'm getting long-winded right now, but when I came back and I saw that someone, the Pittsburgh Penguins tweeted us, good luck. It hit me like a ton of bricks that even though we're a city, we have a, we have a town feel. And, uh, you know, I was just thinking, do the Rangers wish St. John's luck or to the Nick? You know, like you don't you don't experience it that too often, I don't think. And uh, and it happened here with the Penguins who are beloved that they were, you know, they sent a tweet out with a picture of Nike Sabande. Hey man, we're wishing you guys good luck in the tournament. It was very, very cool. Very that cool. is super, super cool. Coach, yeah. final one. You're coming off this great year. There's got to be a renewed energy. I'm sure all you guys, even though the nature of college basketball is so year to year right now where you guys are probably in the process of who's coming back, who's going to a grad year, who's, it's a mess. You know it and I know it. That's yeah. just the world we live in now in college basketball. But for anybody who walks into your building, whenever you guys get started once again, there's got to be an insane amount of renewed energy of, your holdovers and guys that you bring into the program saying, Hey, you're coming into a program now where we just got off an NCAA tournament appearance. Like that's gotta, that's gotta fire some guys up and it's gotta fire your coaching staff up. Right. Well, no question, JJ, it gets everybody fired up. But then the next thing you got to realize too, is that, Hey, these are the standards that we, that we're going to hold ourselves to. Right. Because the other side of the coin, it's easy to kind of, Hey, let's feel good about that. And let's kind of live in the past. And no one really cares about the past. That's the reality of what we do from right now. You know, it's, you know, again, when our season ended the next day, we're jumping in the portal and there was no gap. There was no time to exhale. We're in there right now, you know, because it's just the nature of what we do. But the reality is Human nature is also, hey, I want to feel good about myself. And unfortunately, in our profession, you do that, you're going to get stuck big early. And then all of a sudden, all this net ratings and all this other crap come into play, and you screwed it all up again. And so there, there's a maturity also that comes with it that you got to kind of, again, get the right team together again, handle it the right way, communicate your expectations. And even one of the things I told you know, our bigs, uh, I think it was yesterday, JJ, it was also, I, I said, I want you to think about this notion, second chance. And when you think about a second chance, oh, I got a second chance to do something. Oh, I've got another opportunity. Like, I'm going to try to make the most of the second chance. And I said, that's got to be our mentality because we were good. We left something short and we've got to be fired up about this next thing and look at it the right way. So we apply ourselves mentally, that mindset that we are going after something. Nothing is going to be given. You can't live in the past. We got to get better. We got to move forward and we got to start it now because again, those standards are high. But that whole notion of, I got another, I got a second shot at this thing. I got a second chance. I got to make the most of it. And it's already started here in the beginning of April getting ready for next year. 
Coach, it's always a pleasure having you on a bunch throughout the season. Uh, congrats again. Marvelous year. Appreciate the insight on the Final Four. And uh, hopefully we'll see you in New York for a Yankee game when you're on the recruiting trail, man. You know, oh. you can go recruit. Go to Bishop Lachlan. Go to wherever you're recruiting New York City guys. I know you guys at Pitt love New York City players. And, you know, you hop on the four train, I'll meet you at the stadium. Oh, I would kill to be at Yankee Stadium. You know that, JJ. Love you, pal. Keep crushing it. That's Coach Tim O'Toole, associate head coach at Pitt. He's been great for us all tournament long. They had a great year. Great, great year. All right, Paul Rosenberg, some masters. That's coming up next. This episode is brought to you by NetSuite by Oracle. As your business grows, you might start seeing some lag. There's too much work for your team, too many different processes, and it takes forever to close the books. If this sounds like you, you should know these three numbers, 37,000, 25, and 1. 37,000 is the number of businesses that have upgraded to NetSuite by Oracle. It's a cloud financial system that can help streamline accounting, financial management, inventory, HR, and more. 25, that's how many years NetSuite has been helping businesses do more with less. And one, because your one-of-a-kind business deserves a customized solution for your KPIs. It's like when you come here for this podcast or when you check out your favorite website to gather all the info you need to make better decisions for your fantasy leagues. Well, NetSuite does that for your business and then some. It's one efficient system, one source of truth with everything you need to grow. Right now, download NetSuite's popular KPI checklist designed to give you consistently excellent performance absolutely free at netsuite.com slash ringer. That is netsuite.com slash ringer. All right, before we say goodbye, I figured that we needed to bring somebody in to give us a little bit of a detailed scouting report from the J.J. Bachelor party festivities. In addition to that, we could do a little golf master stuff and some hockey stuff with this uh, full-fledged beaker. My guy, my former producer extraordinaire, Paul Rosenberg. Um, how are you surviving, number one? That's the question I think that I'm trying to figure out, that you're trying to figure out, and the 30 others on the bachelor party. How, how are you surviving? I'm okay right now, J.J., and thank you for having me on the pod as always, buddy. Uh, I'm okay. I landed at like 7 o'clock this morning, which would be Tuesday morning. And so my body is getting adjusted back to Eastern time zone. But it was an absolutely incredible five days out in the uh, desert. Ton of fun. Did you go back, but did you go back to bed? That is a question I asked for you because I did. I, I did a gambling pod and immediately crashed more until three o'clock this afternoon. I say went now. to bed from 8.30 to 1.30. So I, I set my alarm. Just I, I needed a little bit of sleep. And I've been up since then. And I'm hopefully we'll get to bed you know, midnight, 1230. Right after we finish this little segment. I got you. So for somebody wondering what they missed out on, on the bachelor party festivities, what would you tell the audience? Please feel free to share. Uh, listen, the fact that you were able to get 30 plus of your like best friends out there is incredible. Th bachelor parties are like eight to 12 max. And you got 30. Throughout the various points of the trip, you got 30 guys out there. We had, what, 29 or 30 at Carbone for dinner. The long table, it was like in the Godfather movie. It was incredible. It was absolutely Sitting at the head of the table was pretty surreal at Carbone. Our guy, Nick, by the way, shout out for making that happen. Uh, we had the foursomes at Reflection Bay. Um, and then, listen, Stadium Swim and Encore never disappoint. You get two different types of bachelor parties there as far as pool parties are concerned, my man. Yes, Saturday, which stadium swim, which I was waiting to go to, was an incredible experience. The whole scene there, all the TVs, the weather was perfect. If you're a guy like me who doesn't exactly like a ton of heat, 
it was 75 and not a cloud in the sky on Saturday and Sunday, which is for me exactly what you want going to a pool party in Vegas. I don't need the 110 dry heat. 75 is fine for me. So it was an, it was just an incredible time. The final four games were very good. You know, listen, a buzzer beater. Uh, not ideal for the group that had Florida Atlantic to Rough. win the title. That no. was a little cruel. That 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 was that was uh that was not fun. That was cruel. Uh, but the I, I try to look at things objectively. It was an incredible trip. Uh, stadium swim great. Encore was incredible. Encore was another level. Even the national title game that we all watched together <laughs> the last time. And uh, you know it was it was a ton of fun. And you can tell it's a ton of fun if you hear your voice and if you hear my voice right now. We sound like dying cats. I understand that. We are hoarse. We've been yelling. We've been screaming. And yeah. this is the end result. Now that I have you here, though. You like to throw some wages down, as do I. Um, Paul is betting golf every week. I'm not kidding. He's betting every single tour event imaginable. So it's Masters Week. So outside of the big three, Scheffler, Rory, Rom. Let's take them out of the equation. Who do we like? The most interesting thing for me in the Masters is the live guys. The live guys. I agree with that. He, it's are they overvalued? Are they undervalued? For me, that's what I'm looking at. I love Dustin Johnson this week. I absolutely am all about DJ. And a big part for me is that weather will be a factor this week in Atlanta. Oh, and you love that. Paul loves the weather. For those of you who do not follow him on Twitter, he has some of the most disturbing weather tweets you're ever going to see. They are disturbing. Now, remember what happened in the Masters of 2020. Post the after the pandemic masters happened. The November in, Masters, correct. Yes. The November Masters. It was raining and it was cold. And DJ broke the scoring record that week. And I think a lot of the live guys are gonna have a chip on their shoulder that they don't that everyone thinks they can't play anymore. Whether it's DJ, whether it's Cam Smith, even some of the older guys like you know, Sergio Garcia and Bubba and Mickelson and Louis Ustazen. So I'm really interested to see how that dynamic is gonna set up. I like DJ this week out of all the live guys the most. I love DJ. I think he um, got would you get involved though? Okay, so you like Dustin Johnson. FanDuel has a bet regarding the live guys to win. Let me let me give this to you. Uh, I want to see if you're interested in this. The live guys. Plus 500 to win against the field, which is minus 850. Would you invest in that plus 500? I wouldn't because I still think the best golfers in the world aren't on live. And I still think the cream rises to the top. And you've said it, you know, Scheffler is playing incredible right now. If you know me, if you follow me on Twitter, you know how much I love John Rahm. I think he's the best golfer in the world right now. He's obviously on PGA. You have Rory there. So you have so many of top, top guys that I don't know if the value is there at five to one, just on 18 guys. And out of those 18 guys who can realistically win, and then when you think of it that way, I probably wouldn't take that bet. Okay. Let me give you two I like. Jason Day. He's played really well this year. 28 to 1. Does that intrigue you? Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna get involved with Jason Day. The guy is playing so well right now. The swing seems back on a, on the back notice. The back also seems healthy, which for Jason Day was always an issue for the past, you know, ten years almost. He's had back issues. He is playing incredible golf right now. I will give get involved. I would a little beak on Jason Day. On Jason Day. Uh, this is a fun one. Top 20, you know, the ringer has a bunch of specials that Simmons and House put up on FanDuel. 
day to finish in the top 20 and a hole-in-one at some point Thursday through Sunday at 16, plus 250. Oh, gosh. I think the hole-in-one, I'm not going to say they're bad bets, but I oh, somewhat sucker bets. It's very tough to hit a hole-in-one. I know that. You know that. It's very, very tough. And you have Augusta with the wind at now and the rain and the conditions. I don't know if both of those together would be enough for me to bet that. All right, so you're out on that. That's fine. All right, you're out on that. I would. Um, here's one for you. Tiger, you know people want to get on board. You know people want to root. You yes. know he's going to be overvalued. Are you playing anything involving Tiger Woods? No, um, probably not. I might bet him to miss the cut, which I know is like sacrilege, I understand. But I just don't know what he can do at this point. Like, it's entirely possible that he, like, goes crazy on, like, Thursday, does really well, but totally wears his body out. And maybe he withdraws on Friday. I don't know. And on top of that, the competitive side of for Tiger in golf recently, at least at Riviera, I mean, he was struggling to walk up those hills. I just don't. I, I. It's a great story, obviously, with Tiger's not. I just don't know how realistic it is that he can compete with the top PGA guys in this field. Like this is the cream of the crop. This is it's loaded. Field so, is loaded. As good as golf has ever been, Paul. Yes. As good as golf has ever been. Yes. Um, and, matchups. There's zillion matchups. Will you get involved with these or no? So the way I do matchups, and I, like you said, I bet. PGA and I bet the DP World Tour often. When it comes to matchups, I will try to look for a plus money matchup, and I will. That's what I will like try to bet. I haven't looked at the matchups yet. I will. I will rarely bet a a favorite for a matchup because for me, I just I just think if it's for example, if it's like Tommy Fleetwood against Terrell Hatton, if it's one of those, and like Hatton is a plus one ten, for example, or the other way around. It's a round of golf, and these guys are the best golfers in the world. Very easily, a plus money under, um, underdog could have a really, really good round. So I want to take advantage of that. And so sometimes it doesn't work, but I'm way more into the plus money matchups than the favorite matchups. Okay. All right. So to wrap up the Masters, you're in on DJ this week. Yes. You think the live guys will have a chip on their shoulder? Give me three golfers that, can, that you like to win this tournament. Give me uh, three. I'm going to do Rom. Obviously, I'm going to do Sung J M. I think Sung J is really playing well right now. I think he's finished what T six at the Players, T seventeen at the Match Play. He's T eight in Augusta and a runner up the past three years. So he has good course history there. So I like that, and I also like Tommy Fleetwood this week. I think Fleetwood is coming off four made cuts. He played really well at the play at the Players at the Valspar, gained five strokes, T green at Sawgrass, best effort at Copperhead. He gained 8.1 strokes T to green. So he's playing really, really well. And Fleetwood is a guy. He's too good not to win. I'm not saying he's going to win this week. I think he's like 55 or 60 to 1. But he's worth it. He's, he's worth a little bit of a bet there, I think. All right, final one for you. And you're the same guy that's sitting there rooting on these regular season hockey games like crazy. I mean, you're yeah. going nuts for some of these games in the sports book yesterday. Um, you're a big Ranger guy. Yeah. There's a good chance they're going to match up and play the Devils in the first round. Does that matchup scare you, yes or no? Yes. Yes. I don't know if the Rangers can keep up with the Devils' speed. That that matchup absolutely scares me. The Devils, what do you think that series price would be? Rangers minus 150? Uh, 
I don't know if it would be that high, honestly, because the, Devil- the Devils will have home ice. Now, listen, the Rangers will have all the fans, so it doesn't matter. But I mean, yeah, the, the Devils, Devils going to have home ice. The Devils are really good. Like, if you're not like a diehard, like nut, like they are really good. Like Jack Hughes is really good. The trade for Timo Meyer, really good. Dawson Mercer just had a hat trick tonight. That guy is really good. Dougie Hamilton on defense. The goaltending is what it comes down to. They have to figure out if it's Mackenzie Blackwood, if it's Vanacek. Like that's what it comes down to. Goaltending in the playoffs, obviously. But the, I don't. I do wonder if the Rangers keep up with the Devils' speed. That would concern me as a Ranger. Interesting. Very interesting. All right, we'll do some hockey stuff for you when the playoffs come out, because uh, you'll have all sorts of beaks and you'll help us fill out the card and take it from there. I'm uh, um, get some rest. Number one, ice yeah. that foot up. Number two. And you missed nothing on Monday at Bears Best because it was freezing cold. There were 30-mile-an-hour winds. Uh, One of our players broke two five-irons with his brute strength from the rentals they gave us. Uh, I will see you at the Working Man's Country Club soon. I look forward to it. Absolutely, and I appreciate you not asking me about the Mets after that absolute disaster tonight. Yeah, I wasn't going to go there, but you know what? Since you did, uh, what are you more worried about, Scherzer or the Bats? Oh, the bats, because they, they ran they ran back the same team essentially as last year, which was the issue last year. The pitching is is what it is, minus the Verlander injury, right? If you want to swap Verlander for DeGrom, whatever. It's Verlander, it's Scherzer, that's fine. They ran back the same offensive team. Like they well, and they were very you know this. They had a lot of big hits last year. Yeah. They were very clutch last year. But there's no way in the world that you can expect that to be the case again. Like right. there's there's a market correction when it comes to that sort of stuff, which means the influx of power is really lacking from this lineup. I agree with you on that. Right. And I they, totally agree. Yeah. And they also spit the bit when it mattered most last year, whether that was the whole month of September against when they beat up the Marlins. But besides that, they did nothing in the last series against Atlanta, nothing against the Padres. Everyone was expecting Brett Beatty and Vientos and Alvarez to do well. They didn't even make the damn team. So I don't like they ran that the same offensive team. For me, it was always about the bats with the bats. It's always about the bats. I think the pitching will work itself out. The bats are a major concern. Be careful with that velocity though with Scherzer. He'll be fine. I'm not saying he's not going to be fine. He's not 27 anymore. That's no. what would scare me. He is getting up there. So I mean, he him not missing bats and him not throwing as hard, it's at least something to monitor now the next couple of times he goes and toes the rubber for the Mets. Just saying. No, no, that, that I agree with. And listen, when you get beat up by Brian Anderson and Rowdy Tellez, I mean, that, that's, that, that's, a, that's a major issue. You have Bernie the Brewer go down the slide seven times out of breath. Yeah, back to back to back. Uh, big night. Very busy night for Bernie the Brewer. Kind of like uh, some of the gentlemen at Encore Beach Club on Sunday. Just saying. All right, Paul Rosenberg, thank you for a few minutes. Uh, go luck with your master's beaks. And uh, let's get these voices back so the next time we're playing golf, we could do a little hooting and hollering. 100%, JJ. Thank you for having me on the pot. And again, incredible job by you setting everything up for the Bowser party. It was epic. A weekend, a week for me, not soon to be forgotten. Well, glad you were a part of it. And Paul is not kidding. We had 29 people at a dinner at Carbone. Don't ask. And that's why my best men could not plan a wedding. Uh, not wedding. A nice little Freudian slip. They couldn't plan the bachelor party because, listen, the master needs to be involved. What, what does that mean? I had to take care of things. Yeah, so what, last thing, what was your favorite food at Carbone? That's a great question. The veal. Okay. Veal was... It melted in your mouth. It was it was delightful. For me... And, was- I, and you know what it is? Because I've had the rigatoni before. Um, 
I don't know if I had any of the entrees before, but I'm going to say the veal. I thought it was so good. For me, I thought the grilled octopus was incredible. It was. And I, I'm not a big seafood guy. That grilled octopus was so damn tender, melted in your mouth. Loved it, loved it, loved it. And we'll tweet out that menu in case you're going to Carbone in the city or in uh, Las Vegas or Miami. There is a uh, special menu we had for uh, the bachelor party dinner. Just throwing that out there. So maybe Paul will put that up on uh, his social media page for you, all of you to see. Paul Rosenberg, uh, my buddy, my old producer over at FAN, big golf beaker, and he'll have a busy week, I'm sure. All right, Paul. See you, buddy. All the best, JJ. Good job by Rosenberg. All right, Jeff Money, before we say goodbye. All right, from Rosie to Jeff Money. Money, the floor is yours. Wednesday, MLB card, NBA card. What do we got? What up, JJ? Jeff Money here with a handicapper picks. It'll be for Wednesday, the 5th. I got three baseball games and one NBA game. Start in the NBA, I'm going to take the Sacramento Kings plus the four over the Dallas Mavericks. In baseball, I'm going to take the Chicago Cubs minus the 110 over the Cincinnati Reds. Going to take the LA Angels minus the 140 over the Seattle Mariners. And then finally, I'm going to take your New York Yankees minus the 135 over the Philadelphia Phillies. Again, four plays. NBA, I'm taking the Kings plus the four. In baseball, I'm going to take the Cubs minus the 110, the Angels minus the 140, and the Yankees minus the 135. And everyone can follow all my daily plays on Twitter at Jeff Money. Okay, JJ, I'm out of here. Let's go. I like we have a little afternoon baseball tomorrow, Jeff Money. I will be on the Yankees as well. Garrett Cole, I think he's locked in. He's going to have a monster year. I did the MLB picks. Four for four on the MLB network with Keith Azari and Matt Stryker. So we got to stay hot. Yankees, and I like the Brewers tomorrow. I think the Met Bats continue to stay cold. Then, final note, happy birthday, New York, New York. Another year. Another year of your passion, your enthusiasm, your support. It does not go unnoticed. So, another year, hopefully, of great content, yelling, screaming, and a whole lot of hooting and hollering. Good job by Stefan. We are out. I hope everybody enjoys their Wednesday. We got a pod on Thursday. Be good, everybody.